Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to tune in. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? The answer is no one. Have you ever felt a bit lost, like you're on a journey that has no firm direction? The Jewish nation exiled to Babylon had a bit of that going on, but God had some very encouraging words for them. Tonight, Dr. Corbett explores the well-known promise of Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you. So, so Babylon's already come. They've already taken people away. The false prophets, as we've seen in the first few verses of Jeremiah 29, have said it's not going to be for long. Within two years, they'll all be back and God will defeat Babylon and Jerusalem will once again be established as a world empire. And Jeremiah has already said to them, that is false. That is not true. It won't happen. In fact, you, Hananiah, the prophet, you will be dead within two years. And he died within two months of that prophecy, which had an interesting effect of giving Jeremiah a lot of credibility in the eyes of the public. And people were now listening to him. And we'll see this in a moment where, well, as, as we proceed, that they actually write to Jeremiah now that he has this credibility and they ask him for the mind of the Lord. What should they do? But here in this instance, Jeremiah is saying this captivity is not going to be for two years. This captivity is going to be for 70 years. 70 years. There actually is a reason for that. Under the law of Moses, Israel was required to rest their land and they hadn't done it. For 70 years worth of rest, they hadn't done it. And now God was going to enforce his own Sabbath rest on the land. So this 70 years, now now I'm going to labour this a bit and you're going to think, gosh, you're majoring on a minor point here. Well, it's not. It's actually the whole context of this passage. So if it sounds like I'm labouring this, it is for a reason. And it's a reason that goes beyond just merely a church service. I'm going to labour this because I literally believe that there are thousands of people that will die this year because people misread this passage. Let me put a little qualifying word in that statement I just made. And I, I am emphatic. I'll put it in writing and sign it for you if you want. There are thousands of people who will die Here's the word I'm putting in unnecessarily this year because of a misreading of this passage. So I think this is actually serious that we get it right. Some time back, someone gave me a wall plaque. They heard I was preaching through, they knew I was preaching through Jeremiah and they gave me this and it says, it's Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So that's from the NIV. And so we're going to read that next verse in a moment. But it's a beautiful wall plaque. It's, uh, it's lovely. It's beautiful. And this is what we do with this verse. We don't read verse 10, the one that just came before it. And we read this and we go, well, that's wonderful. I think I've highlighted that verse in every Bible I've had because I... I love that verse. But please understand what Jeremiah is saying here. I want you to notice this verse 10. Israel, which is now just Judah, 
Now, Israel, after Solomon, his son Rehoboam, divided, kind of divided the nation into civil war. And so the ten northern tribes, known as Ephraim, and the two southern tribes, which is Judah and Benjamin, that became known as Judah, were at war with each other. These guys had the temple. These guys didn't. These guys worshipped golden calves and the like. And eventually Assyria from over here came and invaded them and took them back. Assyria is modern-day Iran. Here we are a hundred years later and, and Jeremiah is saying, you guys are about to be taken away, not by Assyria, but by Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. We'll come and take you away. They said it'll never happen. We've got the temple. This is where God lives. God would never let enemies come into his temple. He would never let enemies come into his city. It'll never happen, Jeremiah. You are a false prophet. And before they'd even finished the sentence, the Babylonians had invaded. They, they did plunder the temple. They did take the people, just as Jeremiah said. And then these false prophets said, but it's not going to last. It'll all be over. It'll all be fixed up in two years. No, it won't. It's going to last 70 years, says Jeremiah. Then, so this is Israel is now known as Judah, the two southern tribes. They were to be in captivity in Babylon was to last 70 years. Now, why am I making a big deal about this? We'll go to Ezekiel. He says the same thing. We go to Zephaniah, we go to Habakkuk, we go to all of these other prophets and they all talk about Israel being restored to the land. And it's in the context of coming out of Babylonian captivity after 70 years. I Just get this, please. So when they did return, we have books that describe it. The book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah describe it. The book of Malachi is Malachi is the prophet who's there after they returned. He's saying, come on, let's build the temple back up. Babylonians destroyed it. Let's build it back up. So you have these prophets that are testifying that Jeremiah's prophecy of the 70 years, book of Daniel and so on, was exactly fulfilled. It was fulfilled. And there is no Old Testament prophet that prophesies Israel being restored to its land. After they were restored to their land. None. There's not one mention of it in the New Testament. Despite this clear teaching of scripture. That the Babylonians were going to take the, the people of Judah. Known as Israel. Who when they were taken to Babylon. The Babylonians gave these people from Judah a nickname. These Judeans in Babylon became known as the Jews. That's where the expression Jews comes from. It doesn't occur in your Bible before Jeremiah. Because it only came about because they were in exile in Babylon. And despite the fact that the prophets said they would return in the time frame that Jeremiah gave, and they did, a movement began in the 1800s called Zionism, which read all of these verses and said they had not yet been fulfilled. And we must do all we can, Christian preachers began to preach, to help every Jew on the planet return to the land of Palestine and claim it as biblical 
Israel. It's called Zionism. And it has literally cost the lives tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, literally. And I know that there are people, and you've only ever heard Zionism. You've only ever heard that Israel is the center of God's will and plan for the universe. I'm going to come up with a shocking counterstatement. I think Jesus is. I think Jesus is the center of God's will and plan for the universe. I think Jesus' death on the cross is the central act of the central person of the central message of Scripture. Now, when you get this, and I was debating whether I should show you clips of Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the Israeli Prime Minister, where he actually quotes this passage. He quotes this passage in Jeremiah to justify them killing Palestinians and bulldozing their homes today because he claims God has promised them that he would bring them back and they have every right to do whatever force necessary to make it happen. Now, if you hear me say I'm anti-modern state of Israel or anti-Jewish today, you're not hearing me because I'm not saying that. What I'm going to appeal to is when we read passages like this, it's so easy to put them in a frame, put a nice picture to it and forget that what was happening in Jerusalem in that day was that a foreign enemy was plundering their city. This was not prosperity. This was not welfare. This was not times of peace. This did not look good. This looked like God wasn't anywhere to be found. And in the midst of that, Come with me now to verse 11. Hopefully I've painted a different picture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I know that there are people that say, see, God's central message is Israel. I'm going to... No, God's central message is the redemption of all mankind through Jesus Christ. God's plan of redemption, Jesus Christ, could only come about through the lineage of King David, a Jew. It was really important that God restored Israel to its land. It was really important. So that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets foretold. So that Jesus could be born in the lineage of David, just as the prophets foretold. So that everything prophesied about Jesus could come about because God was to bring the, the Jews back to their land 70 years after they were exiled. Now, when we read this verse, I, I love this verse. For I know the plans that I have for you. I feel like God's talking to me. Declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. That's great. And I've got to tell you, I actually feel like that is what God's doing in my life. All right, so when we read a verse like this, I think we need to ask the right questions. We need to ask the right questions. And here's some questions that I think we need to ask. Because all too often, I 
either hear people you know, make wall plaques, fridge magnets, make, make sermonettes out of these sort of verses, and they haven't answered these questions. And here's the questions I'm suggesting you should ask when you're reading your Bible. Who is this written to? Who is this written to? Now, I know there's a whole bunch of Christians who say, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? This Bible is written to me. No, it's not. Have a, just take a wild stab while they call Ephesians Ephesians. Just a wild stab while they call it the letter to the Ephesians. Just a radical suggestion. It may have been written to the... Oh, come on. I could be really cruel and say, who believes we should obey every verse in the Bible? Hey, man, what about 2 Timothy 4, 16, is it? Where Paul says, when you come to me, bring my cloak and the parchments. (laughs) How are you going to obey that? You have to answer that question, don't you? Who was that written to? It was written to Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, when you, Timothy, come to me, bring my cloak and my parchments. We can't possibly obey that because it's not written to us. It is, however, written for us. And the next question is, why was it written? Why was it written? Why is this written here? We need to answer that question. When was this written? Is it Old Testament? Is it New Testament? Is it before Israel was taken into exile? Or is it after they came back from exile? When was it written? We need to understand that. What... Is it actually saying? What is it saying? And if we answer those questions, we can avoid some of the extreme application and teaching that we hear from some people. Now this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is used by some people to, to justify wild concepts of biblical, so-called biblical prosperity. So if I was to ask you a question, <laughs> who wants God to prosper them? Man, I, before I, I'm putting two hands up. Man, totally I want God to prosper me. I'm frustrated that I don't have more resources to bless with. I'd love to be able to be a bigger blessing. There are those that God will bless with material prosperity. And they will tell you they don't deserve it. They will tell you, I just feel like I'm blessed. By God. I feel like it is nothing but God's favour. So if you have, you have because God has been gracious to you. Paul, writing to Timothy, and Timothy in one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire at the time, the city of Ephesus, and there were many, apparently, wealthy people in the Ephesian church. This is Paul's counsel to Pastor Timothy as he pastored the Ephesians. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Haughty, arrogant, showing off their wealth, looking down their nose at others. Don't do that. If you earn half a million to two million plus a year, don't be haughty about that. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 18. 
Did Jesus say wealth was bad? Did Jesus say wealth was evil? Not really, but he did warn that it could be. This is what Jesus said. Jesus, seeing that he, that is the rich young ruler, had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And we could go on, we could go into James chapter 1 and 2 where it says, if you don't have much, you should be very thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful every day. If you don't have much, you should be thankful that you haven't got the distractions of wealth. That's an interesting attitude, isn't it? It's, it's a gospel attitude. that you don't, Money is not the answer to your problem. Provision might be the answer to your problem and it doesn't necessarily have to look like money. So that's picking up on a word that the NIV uses, which is the word, you know, my plan is to prosper you. But what about this word plan? God has a plan for your life. What does that look like? God has a plan for your life. You see, can I just hopefully hit out of the ballpark right now this idea that God has a plan for your life and it's like it's written on a set of cards that he's got for your life and he guards them very close to his chest. And you go, can I just have a look at the plan you've got for my life? I didn't quite see that. Can I just have another look, please? Because I've got a decision to make and I want to make sure that I'm trace-papering your plan with what I'm about to do. We are looking for God to reveal his plan to us and and to make the decision for us. But God is actually calling us to make decisions for our lives. That's why you need wisdom more than you need a direct word from God. We need people to make wise decisions. Now, does that mean you'll always get it right? No. Does that mean you might make a decision that's outside of the will and plan of God for your life? It could, but here's the awesomeness about God. He, he knew that, and that was actually, when you get to heaven, you're going to see, you, you've traced perfectly where he wanted you to go. Do you know mistakes can shape your character? You've felt that? When you make a mistake, God can actually be ordaining that for your good. It's painful at the time, but this is the wisdom of Proverbs. It says, and I hope you have got this highlighted in your Bible, Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3.5. What does that mean, own understanding? Well, I think it means this, that there will be times when God's plan for my life is not necessarily, let's let's pick these words up in Jeremiah, um, peaceful, about my welfare, looking hopeful and good. It could be that if I walk with Jesus, that things look bleak. Uh, it's not going to help the CD sales, that comment, is it? So <laughs> but here's the deal. Don't lean on your own understanding. In my understanding, if things aren't going well, God has stepped away from the console for a moment we just get back in that chair and keep controlling this thing please but it could be that god is in control i love this word sovereignty because it means he is lord <laughs> man and here he is saying to israel and this is where we come back to the context It did not look peaceful for them right now. It did not look prosperous for them right now. It did not look good. It did not look well for them right now. And God says, but my plans are peace, prosperity, wellness, 
and goodness for you. I will bring you back. You read Nehemiah and Ezra. Man, they had struggle after struggle after struggle. You read the last book of the Bible, that great Italian prophet Malachi. And there's Malachi. You talk about... There's, there he is. And it's like, it's, this is not easy. And sometimes we think, well, if I'm in the will of God, it'll just be really, really easy. No, that's really, really stupid. Because as you walk with Christ, he, he will ca- cause you to do difficult things in order for you to grow. I just want you to know that there are seasons in our life where it's hard. And God is still God. <laughs> His plans for you are still good. They are. They are good. So don't lean on your own understanding. I love this next verse. I highlight this one as well. I think now here's where I said you've got to ask the right questions. And we can ask the right questions associated with this passage. Is this verse, this next one, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Is that just for Jeremiah's audience? Well, it would be if it wasn't repeated so often throughout the rest of the Bible. This is a principle that Jeremiah is giving them. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. We read Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me. Didn't Jesus say that? Matthew chapter 7. When you seek me with all your heart. Love the next verse. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have, where I have driven you. <laughs> what? <laughs> this disaster? This driving out of our promised land? This temple that you built? You're destroying it and you're driving us out? It's you? Do you get a grander picture of the sovereignty of God here? I hope you do. And I hope it causes you to literally sleep better at night literally if you get the sovereignty of god it should cause you to be able to literally rest well so uh, i will bring you back to the place from which i sent you into exile and god did god did i've had well-meaning christians in fact i've had i have had unfortunately and i mean that i i unfortunately people have left this church because they've heard me say the central plan and purpose of god is jesus christ and his act of redemption not the nation of israel i've had families leave this church over the years because i've said that can i tell you i find that bizarre i really find that bizarre i find that when we have a new testament that makes no mention of israel having to be restored to its land so that Christ can return. No mention of it. And yet there are people who have set up entire ministries based on that idea. I really hope that we together can see that the gospel is about Jesus, not about your ethnicity. All right, so here's here's the conclusion. let's, Let's hear the conclusion of the matter. The plan. Who's got the plan? God's got the plan. The plan for your life is always brightest when you follow Christ. It's always brightest when you follow Christ. You might think your life is in a real bad place right now. But if you're holding the hand of Jesus, 
It doesn't matter if you're up to your left nostril in mud, so to speak. You're safe. You're safe. Now let me correct that analogy I've just given. Because it's not you holding his hand. It's him holding your hand. He is the one who will get you through. He will. I, I leave with this concluding verse. I love Romans 8. I just think it's fantastic. So here again is the context Jeremiah is saying to a people that have been battered. People have been disappointed that it will be over. Not in two years, but in 70 years. Go to Babylon. Be a blessing to Babylon. Pray for the prosperity of Babylon. Do what you can to bless that nation and that city. Plant yourselves, have children, get married, build vineyards. Just be a blessing where I send you. And in 70 years, I'll bring you back. So that my plan to bring the Messiah to the world can be back on track. And that's exactly what happened. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I laugh because Paul's writing to the Romans just before Nero in 64 AD began tribulating them, distressing them, persecuting them, depriving them of food, stripping them naked, literally killing them, impaling them, covering them in tar, lighting them as candles for the games he put on in the Colosseum. So when Paul writes this, this is not some flowery fridge magnet we're talking about. This is not, well, that's nice, Pastor, but that's got nothing to do with real life. This is real life. These people literally were going to go through this in a matter of months. And he says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? And the answer is no one, not Caesar Nero, not Emperor Nebuchadnezzar, not Julia Gillard, President Obama. No one. If Jesus has got your hand, has he? You may have been coming to church for 20, 30, 40 years. (laughs) This is still for you. God, please forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Come and live in me and help me to live for you. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place. I want him to be Lord and Savior of my life. Teach me what I need to know and help me to trust you. Come what may. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I know the plans I have for you. It was the promise for the Jewish people in exile in Babylon. What does God say to us today? Dr. Corbett returns next week with This Curse Shall Be Used By All. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, I Know the Plans I Have for You, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.